1: And welcome to Passion and the Plague, a podcast from The Independent, where we take you back to a lockdown long ago. It's 1348. As the Black Death sweeps across Europe, a group of friends flee the Italian city of Florence to quarantine the countryside. They tell each other stories to keep themselves entertained. And the idea of Giovanni Boccaccio's Decameron, one of Europe's great literary achievements, is born. In this series, you'll hear 10 stories from the book, read by people in self-isolation across the country, as we tackle the 21st century version of the plague. Today's episode is Mona Tessa. Enjoy. Only the morning star still shone in the sky, when the gentleman we'll call Dionio, who was king for the day, roused his friends. The evening before, Pampinia had taken the women to a beautiful valley, known as the Valley of the Ladies, where they had swum in a crystal-clear lake, and because Dionio was so entranced by the idea of this place, he'd given instructions so that they could spend the whole day there. Early then, they set off down a narrow gorge, emerging into a truly lovely valley, almost circular in shape, and surrounded by low hills, which had been terraced to allow vines and trees such as cherry and almond, to grow. At the far end, water cascaded down the side of one of the hills and ran in a bright stream to the lake. Here, the women had bathed on the previous afternoon. The water was so clear, they could see fish swimming about in it. Now, they thought this delicious valley even more beautiful than on the day before, for the morning seemed to show it off to its best advantage. After their meal and once they tired themselves out with singing and dancing, they found that their servants had placed beds strategically around the valley, surrounded by curtains of French cotton, for those who wished to sleep. But when the time came for storytelling, they gathered on the grass by the lake, and Dionio chose Philomena to tell the first of the day's stories. So she began with a tale about the tricks women play on their husbands.
0: There once lived in Florence in the quarter of San Pancrazio a master weaver whose name was Gianni Lotaringi a man more savvy in his trade than the ways of the world but despite being something of a simpleton he was made head of the choir at Santa Maria Novella and allowed to look after their school and he often did other small services for the prior so that he had a very high opinion of himself but in truth the only reason he was given these duties was being a well-off man. He could supply the friars with a good meal. And because they could squeeze a new pair of hose or a cloak or a silver crucifix out of him, the friars taught him a prayer or two and gave him all sorts of religious knick-knacks, all of which he thought were beyond valuable and would surely help his soul through purgatory. Now our friend, as is always the way, had a beautiful wife whose name was Monatessa and a clever and resourceful woman too. The good wife knew perfectly well her husband was a blockhead, and having fallen in love with Federigo, a good-looking, fresh young man about town, and he with her, she arranged through one of her maids that Federigo would visit her in a lovely country house Gianni had bought in Camerata, where she intended to while away the whole summer. Gianni would spend the odd evening there to dine with her, returning the following morning to his business or his singing. Federigo, who could think of nothing more delicious, seized the moment and made his way to the house, as arranged a little before Vespers. Gianni was not expected, so with nothing to worry about, Federigo had a fine old time dining and whining with the lady while she locked in his arms, taught him a thing or two about pleasure. Neither of them intended this to be the first and last time they spent the night together, and since it seemed dangerous to keep sending the maid to bring him to the house, they came to the following arrangement. Every day, when coming or going to a farm he owned not far from Gianni's house, he would look out for the vineyard next to it, where the skull of a donkey had been perched on top of one of the vine stakes to keep away birds. And if he should find a face turned towards Florence, it was safe for him to visit her that evening after dark and if he found the door locked, he should knock three times and she would open it. But when he saw the face turned in the direction of Fisole, he shouldn't come, because Gianni would be there. This system meant that they were able to meet several times in perfect safety. But one evening, when Federigo was supposed to eat with Tessa, and she had roasted two fat capons for the occasion, Gianni turned up unexpectedly and very late, much to her annoyance. They dined on a little salted meat she'd prepared separately, while she had the maid carry the capons, several fresh eggs, and a flask of wine in a white tablecloth into the garden, which you could access without going into the house, and in which she and Federigo had enjoyed many a fine dinner. The maid should leave these things under a peach tree, which grew by a small lawn. But she was so annoyed at her husband's arrival, she forgot to tell the maid to wait for Federigo to let him know that Gianni was at home and that he should take the food away with him from the garden. Of course, she and Gianni had not been in bed long, and the maid too, when Federigo arrived and tapped gently on the door. Which was so close to the bedroom, Gianni immediately heard it, as did his wife. But so Gianni wouldn't suspect her, she pretended to be asleep. Waiting a little, Federigo knocked again. And Gianni, wondering what was going on, gave his wife a little poke, saying, Tessa, do you hear what I hear? It sounds like someone's knocking. His wife, who'd heard it perfectly clearly, pretended to wake up sighing. What did you say, huh? I said... Johnny replied, It seems that someone's been knocking on our door. Knocking, she said, bolt up right now and pretending to have just woken. Oh God, Johnny. Johnny dear, do you know what it is? It'll be the ghost that's been giving me the biggest fright of my life these past few nights, so much so that whenever I've heard it, I've buried myself under the bedclothes until it gets light. Now, now, wife, said Johnny. don't be afraid. If that's all it is, I've already said all sorts of good prayers before we got into bed, as well as making the sign of the cross from each corner of the bed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing to fear. However powerful the phantom is, it can't do a thing to us. Now, worried that Federigo might become suspicious of her and take offence, The lady realised that, above all, she needed to get up and somehow warn him that Gianni was there. So she said to her husband, That's all very well, and you can say as many prayers as you like, but I won't feel safe until we cast a few spells against it, which we can do now you're here. What spells are they? said Gianni. His wife replied, I know exactly what incantations to use. Because when I went to Feasley the other day for confession, a lady hermit was there, and I swear to you, Johnny dear, one of the saintliest people I've met, when she saw the holy terror I was in, taught me the best prayer and told me she'd tried it out many times before becoming a hermit. And it had always worked. But God knows, I didn't have the courage to try it on my own. But now that you're here, we should give it a go. You know, in Kent. Gianni said he was more than pleased to try anything, so they got up and quietly made their way to the front door, on the other side of which Federico, growing suspicious, was still waiting. When they were in place, Gianni's wife said, When I tell you, have a good spit. OK, said Gianni. Then the lady began the incantation, saying, "Phantasm." phantasm who goes through the night you came here with your tail erect you'll leave with it still tight go into the garden at the foot of the great peach tree there you'll find greasy birds and a dozen eggs from my hen and me put the flask to your mouth and sip some wine then leave and don't you hurt me or Gianni mine so saying she turned to her husband and commanded spit And Gianni hawked up a good load of phlegm and spat. And Federigo, standing outside, heard all of this and could barely contain his laughter. Forgetting his jealousy and chagrin, and in a low murmur, while Gianni was spitting with all his might, he let out a ghostly groan. (laughs) Once she'd banished the phantom three times in this way, the lady went back to bed with her husband. Federigo, who'd hoped to dine with her that evening, hadn't eaten, but understood what she'd said. So he made his way into the garden and found the two capons, the wine and the eggs beneath the great peach tree. And he took these back to his house and made a hearty meal. And he and his lady friend often had a good laugh about all this when they would meet up over the coming weeks. Now, some people say Mona Tessa had turned the donkey's head towards fiercely but some farm boy passing through the vineyard had poked a stick at it and turned it back towards Florence, causing Federigo to think he was welcome that night. I therefore leave it to you to pick the version you prefer, or both, but the incantation, I can tell you, is very effective in any situation such as I've described here. Learn it by heart, and it'll stand you in good stead.
1: This episode of Passion and the Plague was narrated by me, Kevin Childs, and the storyteller, Philomena, was played by Carol Noble. Subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this story and want to read more from the Decameron, there's a link in the description to buy the book. Thank you for listening.